We're going to continue our series in the book of Colossians. So if you want to find your way there, Colossians in your Bible or on your phone app, your Bible app. This morning, we're going to be looking at some verses in chapter 2. This whole book really is about the sufficiency of Jesus, that he's enough to save us. He is the Son of God. Uh, is enough to bring salvation in our lives. There's nothing that we could add to him. Really, it, it could be called Jesus plus nothing is really what Paul is trying to say because there was a lot of false teaching going on uh, infiltrating this church that uh, a man named Epaphras had founded and was the pastor of this church. And now he went uh, to visit Paul who was in a prison in Rome to give him some updates about this church that he had founded. He told them about their love for one another, their strength in their faith in Jesus Christ, uh, their love for God. But he also shared some concerns that were happening. And the concerns were that there were some teachings that were coming in about how to have a deeper knowledge in God. And it was just not enough to have Jesus. There were some additional things that you needed in your life. There were some extra religious rites that you needed to perform in order to really experience the full knowledge of God. And so Paul lets them know this entire letter really is about how Jesus Christ is sufficient, that they're complete in him. And so Paul writes now, as he had shared a couple, we talked last week about uh, the, the nature of Jesus, that he is, uh, he is God, he is the, the visible form of the invisible God, that uh, he is the son of God. There we go, boom. Let's see what the Packers are doing right now. Can we get a, if you have an update, like don't do me thumbs up or thumbs, that, that's how I began my sermon last week was getting this right when I began. So do we have any Raider fans here today? Oh my gosh, so we let you guys hear. I guess it's a church for everybody. Um, Devontae's doing no good for you or us, really. That's what we all have in common, I think. There we go. Thanks, guys, for getting those up. So this morning, we're talking about how to avoid being deceived. Now, Paul writes to these guys, and he says in chapter 2, verse 1, beginning there, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, it's a neighboring town, and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the fullness of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ." We talk about how to not be deceived. It mentions in verse 4 that you may not be deluded with arguments that seem reasonable. And in verse 8, he'll say, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to the spiritual realm and the spiritual world which Paul will deal with. What's happening is, as Paul is saying, I want you to uh, avoid being caught off guard or be uh, deceived by this false teaching. The first way he mentions is that their, their hearts would be knitted together in love. And so we would say, how does a person avoid being deceived? Well, for one would be, number one, continue gathering together as a local body, a local church. This teaching was spreading. Paul was uh, encouraged to see that they were standing firm in the faith. But what he wanted them to know is that how they continued to be in that healthy spot was have your hearts knitted together in love. He wanted them to be encouraged and have a complete understanding of Christ, which he calls the mystery. 
And the key is found by their hearts being knitted together in love, that they would be unified as a, as a church family. You know, one of the things that, um, that false teaching does is it brings division. One of the things that legalism does is it brings division between people. Because what happens is, what hap- in, in a church or a congregation is that you have sort of like the junior varsity group and the varsity group. Right? The varsity group, according to these false teachers, was, hey, they're the ones who are really getting a full deeper knowledge in the mysteries and the wisdom of God because of these different practices that they're adding to their faith. And that's what false teaching does, is it brings division. That's what legalism does, is it brings division. A complete understanding of Jesus is found, Paul would say, in a loving community. In fact, verse 3 could read that, that there's a deepening knowledge of Jesus. It comes from a church loving scripture uh, and loving God in a loving community. That's how they can avoid being deceived. That they would be stronger and they would grow in their understanding of the, the, the riches of God, the treasures and the wisdom of God by being connected and having their hearts knitted together as one. Contrast to what the false teachers would say. Uh, Wisdom and knowledge were hidden in mystical experiences and a higher knowledge. And Paul mentions the danger. He says, hey, don't let people use arguments that seem true, but when you really unpack it, it actually is bogus. It hadn't swayed them yet. They stood against it as a congregation, but the potential was there uh, for them to actually be swayed. So he says, I want you to have hearts that are guarded. That happens, number one, by being continuing in fellowship with other believers. There's something that happens as we learn about Jesus from one another. It's not an individual pursuit. That we have. People would say uh, that Christianity is about a personal relationship with God, but it's not an individual relationship with God. We are born into a family, and in order for them to stay uh, solid in their faith, to avoid false teaching, is that they needed to have their hearts knitted together in love. He mentions something else in verse 6 and 7. Not only would they continue in the fellowship with one another, but they would also, number two, continue growing in Christ. He says in verse 6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, to continue growing in Christ. Uh, Something that, that happens when a person becomes a Christian, they put their faith in Jesus Christ and have a, a personal relationship with him, is that sometimes we can see that, that, that uh, well, I accepted Jesus into my heart as almost like the finish line. But that's actually just the starting line. That's where you actually begin to, uh, to expand your knowledge of who God is and grow in your understanding of him and grow in your relationship with him. And so Paul says, as you receive Jesus, so walk in him. How did they receive Jesus? They received Jesus from just the simplicity of the gospel. It was, this is who Jesus Christ is. This is what he's done for you. This is how you begin a relationship with him, and it's a relationship by faith. They heard the good news about Christ. They put their faith in him, and now Paul says, as you received him, which was by simply believing and trusting, he goes, that's how you continue to grow in your relationship with him. But the false teachers are coming in saying, hey, you have part one down. You've believed in Jesus. Now here's part two. Here's season two. Here's some more things that we want to unfold. You're ready for more. Paul says, you received Jesus. You started with him. 
Now you've got to continue with him. Don't get swayed by a religion of add-ons, of addition. You believe in Jesus, now add this to your life. Add this to your life. Add, start to worship as they were worshiping and teaching them to worship different created beings, you know, angelic beings, that, that they're going to be the ones who unfold a deeper knowledge of God, this mystical experiences. And Paul's like, man, that stuff is just bogus. Jesus is enough. He's sufficient to save you. He's sufficient to increase your understanding of who God is. There isn't a religious right that you need to add to your life to actually become a deeper, uh, knowledgeable person in the things of God. I remember talking actually a couple weeks ago to a young person who uh, worked at a coffee shop. And uh, she came out and she said, hey, so what do you do for a living? I was out there doing some work and stuff. And I said, well, I'm actually a stuntman. That's what I do for a living. For, no, I said, uh, I'm a pastor at a church. And, uh, and so we began to chat and hear about her kind of journey growing up. She grew up in a, a, a church that had lots of tradition, lots of additional things, lots of uh, rules to follow if you're going to actually be in a healthy place with God. And it was interesting, there was no conversation about an understanding of who you know, Jesus was and a relationship with him, and her and her entire family just sort of drifted off from this religious organization uh, because of just, there was just so many rules to follow. And she sort of missed, it almost like clouds a person's mind and their understanding of a simple walk with Jesus. That's what adding on does to a young person's heart. That's what adding on does to this church in Colossae. He says, have a simple life of faith and it's pursuing Jesus and knowing him and keep growing in him. And Paul used these words to get rooted and grounded in him. That means it's just a continuation of sending roots down deep in a relationship with him. And when the false teaching comes in your life or you hear about this new teaching that no one's talked about before now, but now God has unveiled it to this prophet or to this teacher that came through even in our day. It's interesting, Paul talks to the church of Ephesus, it's almost like they're parallel books. What Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus is a lot of similarities that he wrote to the church in Colossae. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. We, will, we won't be tossed and blown away by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. A lot of times, when a person isn't grounded in their relationship with God, they're not rooted in the truth of his word, they can be blown away by like a tumbleweed, like by every new teaching that comes their way. As a new Christian, I remember, uh, you know, getting grounded and thank God for the teaching of the pastor, uh, G.L. Johnson. I went to People's Church way back when I got saved. And, uh, and it was just solid, just biblical teaching. But there was always these new things and these new books about these new experiences that you could have with God. And then that's going to make you actually like an even deeper person in your relationship with God. Paul says, get rooted and grounded in him. He uses pictures that, that, that speak of strength and stability, right? To be built up in him. Uh, the foundation is faith in Christ and then maturing and growing in your relationship with him. He's talking about a life being built on Jesus, right? A life centered on him. And the source of, of, of nourishment for their soul was what they had been taught, 
He says, as you have been taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, they had already heard the solid truth of the gospel. Paul had been proclaiming it for two years in Ephesus, about 90 miles away. Epaphras was in Ephesus at that time, had heard the gospel, become a Christian, began to grow and mature in his relationship with God, and then went back to Colossae and actually started a Bible study. And started a church. And there were Christians that were, uh, now people were getting saved and becoming Christians. And, and now this church had formed. He said, as you've been taught, there's nothing new to add to it. If anybody says to you, there's this new thing that God is doing. If it's new, it isn't true. That's just the facts. If it's not something that you can find that is biblically backed up, then it's just bogus. For me, as a pastor, one of the greatest things that, that I get to see is when, when a new Christian or an old Christian begins to get serious about their Bible, begins to like dig into their Bible. And I don't mean like a check mark. You know what I mean? Like I, uh, pay your taxes, by the way. If you had an extension in April, tomorrow they're all due. Okay, just to let you know that. I had to pay my state taxes yesterday because I want to make sure they went through. Um, and I'm so glad they're going to do wonderful things with all my money. And I shouldn't have said that. My bad. <laughs> I see, I, I, I prayed, God, help me not to do that. And I did it. You guys didn't pray hard enough for me this morning. <laughs> we'll say, oh, there we go. New and old Christians. I mean, they just, like, not a check mark. But they begin to really, like, God, speak to my heart. And then have a systematic approach to reading the Bible. Not like, a, you know, flip it over here and like, oh, let me see what this verse says and flip. I mean, like, begin to, like, have a, a plan to know God's word, to study God's word. And my favorite thing is to get a text from someone like, oh, my gosh, this verse has really been speaking to me today. And you just begin to see, like, the spirit of God beginning to, to open and, and, and show the wisdoms and the treasures of Christ as they begin to dive in to his word. It's hard to sway a church or a Christian who's grounded in the word of God, who knows the word of God and knows the God of the word because they're, they're, they're in the scriptures. A life following Jesus, as he said, as you have received him, so walk in him. What a great picture of a, a pilgrimage, a journey that we're all on, knowing God and actually getting closer to him and allowing him to rearrange our life. Spiritual growth doesn't happen through add-ons or addition. It happens through nutrition, like feeding on God's word, doing that with a community of believers in our lives. We should be progressing in our walk with God, right? Like any relationship, it should be getting deeper as we saturate our souls in God's truth, and we read it, and we study it, and we talk about it. We process it. We meditate upon it. We allow it to rearrange our priorities in our life as we open his word. Here's a great little moment to pause and just like think about your own journey right now, your own relationship with God today. You know, it's, it's either, it's like somebody said that being a Christian is like riding a bike. You're either moving forward or you're falling off. But there's not like a uh, uh, you know, a middle ground. I'm going to push pause on my walk with God. It's not like that, that you just sort of stay there. If you're not progressing, you're, you're, so, you're in a spot, we're in a spot where we're stagnant. And then we're open to the lies of the enemy. We're open to our lives being diverted into a different path that we would never have chosen had we stayed on in a healthy relationship with the Lord and grown in him. 
So what would you say about your progress today? Would you say that you're in a place of progressing and you're pursuing the Lord, you're spending time in his word? Or, or is, are you in a place of stagnation where you're just kind of like, you're, you're, you're content with like just being where you're at? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not killing people, right? I mean, can we all affirm that? I would just like to know that before we move on. Like, we're not out killing people. You know what I mean? I'm not out doing crazy things like maybe some of our friends or high school buddies and stuff. But is that, is that a place that you want to park your life? When it's all said and done, and we're headed towards our eternal home, we won't look back and say, you know, I wish I, wish I would have pumped the brakes on my walk with God a little bit. I wish I would have given into my fleshly desires a lot more. I wish I would have just let, let me direct my life more because, you know, the creator of the universe, the one who knows me more than I know myself, you know, what does he know? Every one of us will look back and hopefully will look back and say, I'm so glad that in 2022, I finally got serious about my walk with God and began to put Effort, effort is not uh, um, opposed to grace. Earning is opposed to grace. I'm trying to earn my way to God. That's what the false teachers were saying. But effort, like me meeting with a couple, and they say like, oh, our marriage is just like in a blah state. Well, do you guys like put effort into your relationship? Yeah, I said, I do. <laughs> right, it means when's the last time you went on... I don't like to humble couples because I don't like to be humble, but that's a humbling question. When's the last time you took your wife out on a date? And I don't mean to Costco, where they have the samples, you know what I mean, all around. Oh, it was like, it was like a progressive dinner we had. It was just moving in and out of the aisles, right? Nobody believes that you can actually progress in a human relationship like that. You can't with God either. So you, you take a moment right now. This isn't a moment to go, man, I just feel so heavy and guilty. Here's the great news. Is that today you can say, I'm going to actually put my relationship with God as the number one priority of my life. I'm going to actually put him first. I'm going to spend time in his word. What would it look like if that was your life? It doesn't change our circumstances. It's not like we say like, well, I'm going to spend more time with you, God, and then I won't get cancer. But how you handle things that come your way is a lot different when you have a solid, stable walk with God. It doesn't mean that it's not painful. It doesn't mean that you don't shed tears when you go through hard times. It just means that there's a stability to your, your, your core of who you are as a person because you're getting rooted and grounded in him. He says, this is how you live a life to not be deceived is that you continue in the fellowship, like don't get out of fellowship with believers, and you continue growing in your relationship with Christ. And then Paul says, <clears throat> continue, number three, guarding your life against false teaching. He says in verse eight, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophies and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. He says, continue guarding against false teaching. Don't 
allow yourself to be deluded with plausible arguments, verse 4. And verse 8, see that no one takes you captive, that no one takes you and actually like holds you hostage with false teaching. Peter says this about Satan. He says, stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil, who he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Paul says, that's on you and I to actually pay attention. You play football, in, anyone play football in here? I played one year, Lincoln Lions. We tied for first place because my friend Scott fumbled three times in that game. My buddy Travis and we talk about that like, you know what? Look at him. He's doing just fine, isn't he? Not even thinking about those fumbles, but here I am 35 years there thinking about that. And now you know. Do you want to know his last name? Go find him on social media. Somebody. How could you fumble? It was against Mickey Cox and they beat us. Anyways, one thing I learned in the very first game is you put your head on a swivel because I got my bell rung before they even cared about concussions in elementary school. And I mean, I was just like, you know what I mean? Like the whole game, everybody was like in slow motion. Next time I go out on the field, I'm looking around. I'm looking around at everybody. Like, I don't trust anybody. I don't trust a coach. I don't trust my teammates. Nobody on this field. Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. How does one become captive? Well, they're away from the fellowship of believers we're challenging things that we start bringing up. Well, I read this the other day, and I heard about this, and I read this uh, you know, blog. What do you think about that? They stay growing in their relationship with God as, as they learn and get grounded and rooted in the truth. They're able to actually understand this empty teaching that's coming. Why is it empty? Well, the source is, Paul says, human tradition. There's a lot of funky things that humans have created as like a religious practice. I think about all the different things Jesus warned against, how the Pharisees would teach uh, as doctrine human things that they added on, things that were like special hand washings and stuff. It's like your disciples are gross. They don't eat with their hands washed. When you read that in your Bible, it wasn't there they're like, you know, like, you know, like rubbing their underarms and then eat a sandwich. It's that they didn't go through the special Religious process. Now my hands are clean because, gee, I might have touched a Roman coin that a Gentile, a dirty Gentile had touched, but now I'm clean, and now God will accept the way I'm going to eat my food right now. There's all kinds of human traditions. I think about, like, in the early days. I remember when I became a Christian, <clears throat> thinking about, um, I invited one of my best friends to church, and I was like, I picked him up, and the first thought was not like, oh, I hope he hears the gospel and turns from his dirty ways. My first thought was like, oh, no, he's not going to be accepted because he looks like a teenager right now. And I'm like, go put something proper on for church. Like, literally, I'd learned the language. You know what I mean? He was wearing, like, shorts and, like, some Birkenstocks. He was, like, like into, like, the Grateful Dead, I guess, back then. So he had Birkenstocks, and he just said, you know, sort of like, I want to be a cool hippie from Clovis West. And, uh, and my first thought was, you can't dress a church like that. You guys understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> we sing hymns like, come as you are. But here's the disclaimer. Make sure you have shiny shoes on. And make sure you have khakis. And they got to be pleated in the front if you want to be able to really be accepted by God. I mean, I'm making fun. But that's a lot of people's mentality. Uh, oh, my gosh. 
That person has a tattoo. Well, I guess they're bound for hell. They're not going to be able to go to heaven. There's a lot of additional things that we add. We get hung up on. And back in the 60s and 70s, all these long-haired hippies down at the beach with dirty old sandy feet started showing up to churches. And some of the people were saying, like, they're going to ruin our carpet. I'm so grateful for pastors like Chuck Smith has said, if they're going to ruin the carpet, then let's rip out the carpet, right? And have cement so these guys can come and hear the word of God. Some of your favorite pastors on the radio, I guarantee, were some of those dirty feet hippies back in the 70s down in Costa Mesa, California. Churches can get hung up on tradition while a generation of kids are lost and on their way to hell. From spiritual powers of the world, they would teach that angels who were created by Jesus, he tells us in chapter one, that they had power over heavenly bodies and in turn, the universe had impact and influence over our own lives. Don't ever get hung up on, well, I can't, I can't date them. God doesn't have them for me because, gee, they're a Libra. You can allow, you know, um, zodiac signs and astrology and horoscopes to guide your life or the word of God and the Holy Spirit. But you can't have both. That's what Paul is saying here. It's all these, you know, creative things. Think about that. It, it, Paul says it's Jesus. They had worship, you know, new moons and, and such, and religious practices determined by the calendar. The antidote for false teaching is the truth and paying attention and guarding your, your life from false teaching and, and, and examining it based on the scriptures. What does the Bible say? What does this practice look like in light of God's word? He says that you and I would understand that the fullness of the deity dwells bodily in Christ, that he is God, and you were filled in him, right, who is the head of all rule and authority, that you and I are complete in him. Your salvation is complete. The righteousness that you and I have been imputed as followers of Christ is complete, We're found in him, and we can't add anything to it. And they would play on their fears saying, listen, I know you're a believer in Jesus, but you need more. What if Jesus isn't enough? What Paul was saying is that Jesus is the sum total of all that God is, of all of his being, and all of his attributes. And you are filled in him. And the the Greek tense is this. It's a permanent experience. If you've chosen to follow Jesus Christ, you're complete in him. There's nothing to add to your work of salvation. It's all done by him. You're complete in him. When you were born again, you were born into the family of God, and there's nothing you and I can add. There's no new experience. There's no new teaching. Where does it put Jesus? If his work isn't complete, if it's not what he's accomplished for us, 
If it leads to legalism, well, you've got to do this in order to have God's favor. Legalism was on the rise, and they were taking uh, some of the rites and some of the, the, the teachings of, of the Jewish law that were now done away with because Christ is the fulfillment of the law, and they were saying, if you want to believe in Jesus, that's great, but now get circumcised, and now start having a dietary law that follows Jewish tradition, and, and now start adding all these things, and now you will actually be like fully arrived and have like a full, rich knowledge of of God, it wouldn't help you become more complete. It would only help them become prideful. They were the ones who had the letterman's jacket, and everybody looked at them and said, oh, I want that. That's what religion does. That's what legalism does. So Paul says, continue in the fellowship to avoid being deceived. Continue growing in Christ. Continue uh, uh, guarding your life from false teaching. And the last is this, continue reflecting on uh, who we are in him. Look what he says in verse 11. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus is God. He became the God-man 2,000 years ago. We celebrate it coming up in Christmas. I know it doesn't feel like Christmas is coming because it's going to be 107 today. Emmanuel, God with us, with us as God. 2,000 years ago, the second person of the triune being stepped out of heaven, became a man. He was fully God and he was fully man to bridge the gap between a holy God and sinful people. That's what Paul's explaining here. This is who he is. This is what he's done. And this is now your reality if you're in him. If your salvation is in him, you're complete. And it's a work that he's done that you and I can't add to it. What does Paul say? The reality is that you are alive in him. You and I were dead when we were born into this world. We were born spiritually dead. There's nothing we could have done to change our circumstances. When a person becomes a Christian, it is God who's unlocking their heart and making them alive. I know on our end, we say, yes, I want to believe in Jesus Christ. But it is a miracle that happens when God comes into a person who is dead spiritually and makes them alive in him. And then he talks about the circumcision that we have in him. It's not a physical circumcision. It's a spiritual one that he does on the inside of our life. It's a spiritual operation that God does in the heart of a person, and that we are now identified our lives with him. Circumcision was a right that God gave the children of Israel. It was a physical expression of something that happened on the inside of their lives as Jewish people, the people of God, that, that it was a 
They're not going to live their lives for their own life and pleasure. Now they're going to follow Yahweh and follow him with their life. That's what circumcision meant. It's like baptism. Today we're going to celebrate the lives of, of these five that are getting baptized today. But baptism isn't something, the physical part that saves a person. It is an image or picture of what's already happened in their life once they put their faith in Christ. They're buried with him in baptism. Their old life is done. They're raised to walk in this newness of life. His death, what Paul says, is our death. His resurrection is ours, and now we can walk in new life. When we were born, we were dead in sin, but now in Christ, we're alive in him. And it was all his work apart from anything that I have done. So why would we think that I could add something now to to perfect something that was already perfect? Why would I think like Paul says to the Galatians, you began in the spirit. Now you're going to be perfected in your flesh. Now you're going to start to try to follow all these Jewish laws that never could save the Jewish people. And now you're going to be more spiritual How do you add on, I was dead, but now I'm alive? Like, more alive, I guess. Death, life. That's what Paul is saying here. And by the way, we also have total forgiveness in him when he forgave all of our sin. All my sins blotted out. We call this River Valley Church, but really it should be called, like, Sinner's Fellowship. Right? That, that all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. I have a mountain of sin, was what Paul is saying, that Jesus has leveled, completely removed from our life. And he details what was involved. The law. The written code that was opposed to us. That we couldn't measure up. You and I have the Ten Commandments. The Jewish people continued to have add-ons to that. They ended up with 613 laws the Pharisees were trying to keep. Do you remember where you put your car keys last night? (laughs) It's like, literally, I I need help. (laughs) Tammy's like, babe, if you put them in the same spot every single time, you'll know where they are. I'm like, I know you said that a hundred times, but I forgot you said that when I came home last night, and I put them somewhere else. (laughs) You ever read the Ten Commandments? Or he's like, I haven't killed anybody. Yes, right? I haven't cheated on my spouse. Yes. And then Jesus goes and says, listen, let's talk about the spirit of the command. You have heard it said, thou shall not kill. But I tell you. And then he goes on and talks about anger in our hearts. How do you know if you're a murderer on the inside? If someone was missing from your life, would you be okay with it? You go to work tomorrow, like, oh, they're still here. They didn't die. But if they did, I would have a better week. I'm not, I'm just saying, not saying that I work with a very small group of people at the church, so I'm not going to say that. But you might. See, we can't measure up to God's law. It was opposed to us. The law could never save us. The law only could condemn us. But God canceled it when he nailed it to the cross. There's a list of every law that you've ever broken of God's, every sin you've ever committed. And he nailed it to the cross, and the blood of Jesus wiped away our sin. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How did that happen? It wasn't without a price. There is sacrifice that was made. 
God had to become a man to pay humanity's crime of rebellion and sin. To cancel my debt and your debt, someone had to pay. And Paul says when he died on the cross, the document that condemned you and I was destroyed. He took it away. He paid for our sin. He conquered sin, Satan, and death on our behalf. And he broke the power of Satan, making it known, verse 15, to the whole universe that he is now defeated. You and I are no longer under his control. The cross of Jesus is where our victory comes. The penalty for sin has been paid. The power of sin in our life has been broken. That's how you and I are able to actually become more and more like Jesus now by allowing him to control and rule over our lives. What else does a person need, Paul would add? Nothing. It's unnecessary. In fact, it's sinful because it leads to pride to begin to think that you can add things to your spiritual journey that now God is going to actually reward you more for. I don't have his perfect righteousness because I read my Bible every day last week. I don't have his perfect righteousness because I, I prayed to him three times a day or once a day. It's all because of his gift. But because I have his righteousness now, I want to get to know him. And so I want to read my Bible. And I want to pray. But it's not as if those things actually make him love me more. It just helps me understand his love more and helps me get closer to the one who created me. We're righteous today because of what Jesus has done for us. Paul says, for God made him who never sinned to become sin for us, that you and I might become the righteousness of God. It means that God took all your sin debt, he canceled it, and then he filled your spiritual bank account with his righteousness. And when God looks upon his church today, even though you and I know we have a lot of messes still in our life, a lot of areas of our life that are still kind of just jacked up, if we're honest, right? He looks at us as if we are the perfect son of God, the perfect righteousness of God in our position. In practice, he's helping Gordon become a better version of myself. He's helping me walk with him and repent of sin and, and, and get over sinful habits. But in position, he looks at me as the perfect righteousness of Christ. Isn't that amazing? By believing and trusting in him. Can I encourage you this week? I would encourage you to go back over this and begin to read through. It's just four little chapter book, the book of Colossians. But begin to read about who you are in him. Rejoicing today in what he has done for you and I. If you were a believer this morning, he's made you alive when you were dead. He's totally forgiven your mountain of sin. He's leveled it completely and removed it from this life. You are free in Christ. So now your freedom is to grow in him and to get to know him and to continue to pursue him each and every day as you journey, as you walk through this life on earth. And maybe you're here this morning, or maybe you're watching, or maybe you're listening to a podcast later this week. Maybe today, if you were to be totally honest in your soul, are you trusting in your efforts for God to accept you? Are you trusting that you're a good person, that God might grant you 
the privilege of going to heaven? Are you thinking that you're religious enough for God to actually say, yes, you can be a part of my kingdom? Here's the reality. You and I need a savior because all of our good works couldn't buy us one second in God's kingdom in heaven because there's none who's righteous. None of us are. Paul says in Romans, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none of us who are good, who seeks after God. This is why we need a savior. Your two opportunities to spend eternity with God is be completely perfect, right? Like never sin. You've never told a lie. You've never broken one of God's commands. You've never had anger in your heart well up at somebody. Or have a substitute who died on the cross on your behalf as if he was the one who had sinned and committed all those sins against God. And if Jesus isn't your savior today, you're in the other camp. How do, how do I become in a place where God and I are okay, where God and I are right? Well, you admit to God that you're a sinner. And then you choose to believe that Jesus is the one who died for your sins and he rose from the dead. And then you confess him as Savior and Lord. You say to God, God, I want you to forgive me my sin. God, I want you to come into my life. God, I want you to make me a new person where I could have a relationship with you that is based on my belief in you and not my perfect way of living life or being religious. What about you today? Do you have Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has he made you alive? Has he totally forgiven you? That happens when you surrender your life to him. You know, our worship team is going to come out right now. They're going to lead us in a final song of worship. This is where our time, if you're getting baptized, you can go and, and get changed. If you want to go also and grab your kids to, to join us in this final song, you can go and grab them so they can be a part, which we want them to be a part and see this great, awesome thing that God's been doing in the hearts of these people getting baptized today. But maybe today's a day that you say, I need to surrender to him. Don't put it off. Don't stiff arm God if he's speaking to your heart today. Allow him to come into your life this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today for your, your love and your grace, Lord. And thank you for the opportunity that we have to open your word together, Lord. And Lord, we pray <clears throat> that you would help each one of us, God, to really, Lord, to be, I guess, protected against the deceptions of this life, the deception that comes through bogus things about you or bogus things about your word. Help us to be men and women that really hold everything that we hear to what does God's word have to say about this? Lord, we allow your word to shape our worldview in areas of our life that don't seem to fall in line, that we're ready to sacrifice those instead of trying to make your word say something that it doesn't. Lord, thank you today that our salvation is complete in you. I can't add one thing to it. Nobody can. Lord, our salvation is ours because of your grace and not our works. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But you freely give it to all who call upon you and ask that you would become Lord and Savior of their life. As people have surrendered to you for thousands of years, God, your word makes it clear that you come into their life. You take up residency in their heart. God, you help them live out the Christian life that none of us can do in our own strength. And Lord, you totally forgive us. You make us new. 
You heal our brokenness. Lord, you repair those areas of our life that have been, Lord, crippled for years emotionally. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God and a good Savior. And Lord, I pray for maybe one that's here this morning who today needs to surrender to you and become a Christian. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning, you say, hey, Gordon, would you pray for me today? I want Jesus in my life. I want my sins forgiven. I want to begin a relationship with him today by faith. I know it's not my religious effort that I'm accepted by God with. It's because he loves me, he died for me, and he calls me to believe in him. And if today you're ready to surrender to him, you lift your hand up. I know so I can see it. Let me pray for you. We'll tell God together right where you're sitting what you want him to do in your life. Anybody here this morning? Anybody here today? You're ready to surrender your life. Anybody here in this closing song? You want Jesus in your life. You want your sins forgiven. And he loves each and every one of you this morning. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. And he loves each and every one of you and wants to come into your life. Anybody here today? Well, Lord, thank you for this morning, God. Thank you for my time in your word with my friends. And God, we are grateful for the work that you've done in the uh, lives of people getting baptized today, Lord. We want to rejoice with them. And Lord, we, uh, we just ask your blessing upon that part of our service today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.